Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning in the room. And if you're in one of our locations, let me just ask you to big a big shout out. So if you're in Rowley, I want to hear you cheer. If you're in Hagley, I want to hear you cheer. And if you're in Hells, in here, let me hear you cheer. It's good. It's good to be in church this morning. And I want to ask you a question before I start. Have you felt under pressure this week? Have you felt in a moment this week that you've been under pressure? Because I think for most of us, we've all felt under pressure. Whether that's under pressure to wear the right clothes, to say the right things, to be in the right place. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe it's job pressure. Maybe it's relationship pressure. Maybe it's just pressure to make sure the kids are meant to be where they are. And that's massive pressure in our household all the time. Sometimes it's like herding cats with three boys. But, you know, under, we're all under pressure. And if you haven't felt pressure at any time this week, you would have been around somebody who has felt pressure. And we know when somebody's under pressure because their movements change, so they become a little bit more pressurised when they move. Their tone of their voices change. Maybe the pace of their voices change. In fact, we introduce a little bit of French into our vocabulary, don't we, sometimes when we're under pressure. You know, under pressure means that we change in things that we do and the people that we are. Uh, a few months ago, we did this thing here at Life Central amongst our staff where we were talking about uh, our temperaments and what we, we are like in our temperaments. Turns out, I'm what is known as a yellow. So it's a pretty good, yeah. Come on, Laura. Thank you. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it basically means I love being around people. I, I like having fun. I'm not too interested in the details or the deadlines, but I just, I like just, I'm like Tigger, basically. Basically, I'm a human Tigger, and that's how I've been described over my life. But my secondary colour was red, which kind of means I change from being a tigger to a tiger. And when I'm under pressure, I kind of change from the red to the yellow. And I don't know if anybody else... Sorry, I change from yellow to red. I don't know if anybody else can kind of relate to that. When we're under pressure, we change as people. We, we have less patience and less grace. And this morning, I want to talk about the genius of grace. And we've been following this book called The Genius of Jesus by a guy called Erwin McManus. And so today, some of uh, my uh, thoughts will be his thoughts, and some of my thoughts are my own thoughts, and some of them were from like research that I've done as well. But grace is a funny word, isn't it? Because we don't really use it in our everyday language. We don't say, oh, they poured that cup of tea gracefully. But we do use it when we're describing like sports people, for instance, or other people who do creative things. So, for instance, we'll describe Lionel Messi as the most creative footballer, sorry, most graceful footballer of all time. He is the most creative as well. But he dribbles the ball really gracefully and he scores graceful goals. In fact, I heard it described this week that Mo Salah scored a Messi-esque graceful goal this year. Uh, you know, when we describe ballet dancers, we describe them as being graceful. When we describe Tom Daly diving off that diving board, we describe him as being graceful. If I was to ask you today to describe me a graceful ballerina, you would not describe them as a six-foot-one man who's slightly overweight with a beard, wearing a yellow top and black jeans and a grey pair of shoes. So it might shock you to know that I trained as a ballet dancer from a really young age, all the way through to my early adulthood as well. But if I was to ask you to describe me a ballet dancer, a, a graceful ballet dancer, you would describe him like this. Elegant, poised, beautiful, strong, poetry in motion. That's how we would describe grace as a ballerina dancer. But when we look in the dictionary, it's got these two 
words, so two meanings to the word grace. The first one is this, elegance or beauty of form, a manner or motion of action. And the second one is a manifestation or of favor, especially by a superior. And so there's these two kind of different meanings to this one word. And it's one of those peculiar words that takes on different meanings depending on the context that it's used in. But Owen McManus, he says this about grace. He says that grace, by any definition, is transcendent. In other words, he, he, he's saying that grace transforms the most mundane situations, the most boring, the most weird and like still situations into these most awe-inspiring and wonder-stroking wonder moments. Grace changes things. It makes things amazing. And so we can look at grace in two ways. We can look at it the way that someone produces something, like they score this amazing goal, or they paint this amazing piece of art, produce this amazing bit of music, or we can look at it as how they do this, how they live their lives. You see, you can paint the most beautiful picture, but actually be the most ugly of people. You can be, paint, produce the most amazing bit of music, but actually be terrible as a person. You can uh, be brilliant at maths, you can be a genius or whatever, but be shocking when it comes to relationships and how to live your life. But you know, the genius of Jesus wasn't in what he produced, although that was genius, but it was how he lived his life. It was the posture that he took. You see, Jesus uh, took a posture of humility and kindness to humanity around him, and that is what I want us to pick up today. You see, there are moments in our lives that allow us some space for, for being a little bit grouchy, for, for being the worst of us, maybe. You see, maybe when you're going through a financial struggle or you're going through difficulty in your life, if people know these things are happening, they kind of go, give them a bit of space. Let them have a bit of grace in this moment. If you're having a relationship breakdown or maybe someone in your family's sick or has died, then people give you a bit of grace and a bit of space for your emotions. So when you're snappy at them, they kind of understand the context. But then there's those moments in our lives that are a little bit less forgivable when we overreact, when we hurt somebody deliberately to protect ourselves. Because, let's be honest, it's better to be the judge than to be judged, right? You know, when somebody has hurt us, why wouldn't we hold a grudge against them? Because we don't want them to hurt us again. But grace is different. See, grace is giving or receiving forgiveness and compassion when it's undeserved. And as people, I think we're most impressed when this happens, when we're under pressure. You see, the moment, it either defines us or we forever define the moment with our reactions. And I want to tell you a story that happened to me a few years ago. I was uh, in my early stages of ministry and I was training, to, uh, at the time I was a youth worker, with just come back from South Africa the day before on a mission trip that I took a load of young people on. And then we were kind of, we, 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 I don't know why we'd planned this, we planned to go out and do like a social with a, a wider group of young people. It was a hot summer's day and me being Tigger decided it would be fun to start a water fight. So I was splashing some of the kids with water, with cups of water and uh, it kind of got a little bit out of hand but because I was in charge no one was prepared to really throw water at me. And then there was this new youth worker. And she decided that I needed to get it because no one else was protecting these kids. So here she goes. She goes and fills two cups of water. She walks up behind me. I'm fully clothed at this point, by the way. I've got my wallet and my phone in my pocket. And she pours them over my head. And it was that moment where everyone goes, oh, no, you didn't. 
Oh, no, you didn't. And uh, it was in that moment that I could either choose to let the moment define me or I defined it with my reactions. And I want to tell you, what I did was, I was Tigger, so I just laughed it off and bounced around, and we're really good friends, and that's the end of it. But that's not the truth. The truth is, actually, I, I let the moment overtake me. And my reaction was really negative. And I went in hard on her, and I was like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? We don't even know me. And you decided to do this, blah, 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 blah. And I was just, I was like, overreaction. And I, and I, I, I couldn't even believe how I reacted. And... As we came home that night, my wife Bridget said to me, she said, that was not you. That's not who you are. And you've left this lasting image of this to this person. You need to go and ask for forgiveness and hope that they show their grace to you. And they did. And so I offered, uh, I, I said, look, I'm really sorry. They offered me forgiveness and grace. But you know what's sad about that is our relationship in that moment will always be defined about how I reacted. Not how she reacted. She reacted brilliantly in that, in that moment towards me. But she will always forever have it tainted by the way that I reacted. And actually, we get along now. We're okay now. But it's never the relationship that it once could be because of how I responded. You know, Jesus, he was always bigger than those moments. He was always bigger than the moments where he was poked and provoked. He always rose above the fray. And that is why he can call us to choose the higher way. It might be a person of faith or no faith, but I think that we all respect when somebody gives us grace and when someone shows us grace in those moments. You know, Jesus, he faced the same stuff that we do, the same pressures, the same issues, yet his life was an elegant and beautiful expression of uh, the expression of grace. Jesus was poetry in motion. Jesus demonstrated grace throughout all of his life and none more so than in the story that I want us to look at today. So if you've got a Bible, maybe you want to turn it on or turn with me and we're going to look at John 8 verses 1 to 11. And I'm going to be reading from the message translation and this is what it says. It says, Jesus went across to Mount Olives but he was soon back in the temple again. Uh, he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so that they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone and Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Then neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way from now on. Do not sin. It's this amazing story of grace. And I want us to kind of pull this bit of text apart over these next few minutes and to see the, the true genius of Jesus in this moment and see how we can apply it into our lives, into context that God has placed us. The first thing that I find interesting is, it's probably a scene very similar to this. 
You see, Jesus is teaching to a bunch of people. He's probably on an elevated position. He sa- it says that he was sat down, and so the others were sat down around him, listening to him teach. And then all of a sudden, rudely, he's interrupted by a bunch of religious leaders who throw this half-naked woman in front of him and say, Jesus, we've got a challenge for you. I mean, if Andy was to come right now and throw a half-naked woman in front of me, I'd be like, whoa, uh, maybe we'll just talk about this later. But Jesus, he isn't flustered by it. In fact, he, he stops what he's doing and deals with this situation in the most gracious of fashions. You see, they're saying, Jesus, the law states to us that we should stone her, but what do you say? I want to just say before I continue that the law that they're talking about is a mosaic law. It's a law that was for a specific time period, a specific people group, and a specific reason. And so it no longer necessarily applies to us here in this context. Although we do hold the sanctity of marriage really highly, we definitely don't go around stoning people anymore. So I just want to put that into place. If you're new amongst us and you're thinking, well, this is a weird law that we would subscribe to, we definitely don't subscribe to that. And so the law says this, Jesus, what... Do you say? And I wonder what that woman felt in that moment. Did she feel written off? Did she feel embarrassed? I mean, she'd probably be thinking, well, hang on a minute, where's the, where's the guy that I was with? It takes two to tango here. Why am I the only one in this moment? I mean, she knew what the consequences would be, and she could probably see the stones in their hands. But she was also, like, really embarrassed. Everybody knew what she'd been doing. Everybody was pointing, and her shame was on public display. What does Jesus do when he's asked on his words for this matter? Well, he doesn't say anything to start off with. But Jesus changes his posture. He changes his posture from a position of power and a position of of, of authority. And he goes down into the dirt with her. And he kneels down. It's a beautiful picture of what grace does. You see, Jesus, grace, same thing. (laughs) You know, it's one of those days. Grace meets us where we are, not where we're supposed to be, not where you think you need to be, not where you think that other person thinks they should be, but grace meets you where you are. Grace meets you where, not where you aspire to be, not where you hope to be, but exactly where you are in that moment. You see, the law stated she should be condemned, thrown to the side, and stoned. And the law for many had become this place, and it still is a place, I believe, for many, a place of judgment. A place where we use the judge's gavel and we cast and condemning things upon people because they're not meeting our standards. Actually, we hold people to such high standards, do we even meet our own standards? My brother, bless him, before he died, I remember him once saying this to me because we were like the best of friends and the worst of enemies and I looked up to my brother so much, always wanted to be like him. He used to say to me, Adam, you will never meet my standards because I never meet my own standards. And it stuck with me. Do we have such high standards that we don't even meet our own standards? You see, we're in a time now in society, in a season of cancel culture. How many people are having their their lives cancelled because they've said something wrong once? They've made a, a mistake. And yes, it might be a public mistake, but is it right that we cancel these people? People are going through Twitter and looking at historical tweets, looking at Facebook and looking at historical posts, newspaper articles and looking at historical things that these people have done. And we're holding people in public positions and in private positions to such high standards that I'm not sure that we can even keep them ourselves. You know, we forget the law was there so we can understand when grace would actually be needed. Uh, That's what the law was designed for. The, The Ten Commandments were given to us 
So we can understand when the grace of God would be needed and when we would need to express grace to other people. You see, we often miss the opportunity to show this genius of Jesus because we're too busy judging other people. And I don't want to stand here and say, it's it's all of you and not me because I'm in on this boat as well, guys. I, I judge people quickly as well. I think this is a human issue. This is a human nature issue. We're so busy judging others that we're not actually there showing grace to people. You know, the transferable genius of Jesus is that we can meet people where they are, not where we think that they should be. You know, these guys thought that this woman shouldn't be where she was, where she was caught. And they were judging her on that. But Jesus meets her where she is. He gets down from his position and meets her in the dirt. And you know, the great thing about the genius of Jesus is this, that he will keep meeting you in that same place if you remain there. If you struggle with that addiction, if you struggle with this problem over and over, Jesus will still meet you there because he loves you. I love how Judah Smith, the pastor and author, puts it. He says this, he says, we are, uh, where we are is often inconsistent with who we are and who we want to be. Where we are is often inconsistent with who we are and who we want to be. It's a phenomenal statement. Second thing I notice about the genius of Jesus is this, that it's not in a hurry. How many of us are in a hurry in our lives at this moment in time? You know, smartphone has revolutionized things, but it's also changed things because everything is in an instant. We want things in an instant, and so we're always in a hurry, and we're not prepared to take our time. I'm the worst for it, being a tigger. I, I, I'm literally just like the most impatient of people. But here's the thing. Jesus is not in a hurry with you. You know, we're always in a rush to cover up our weaknesses, cover up the issue or avoid the issues. And I always like trying to skip over it or hide it. But when we read this passage earlier, it said that Jesus didn't even say anything. I love how uh, the description says that they kept on badgering him. Like they were on at him. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, there's an issue here and you're not dealing with it. Jesus, what do you think we should do? And Jesus takes his time. He's not rushed by the law. He's not rushed by anything else going on. And it's not because he's thinking of smart, some smart rebuttal. Because Jesus is the smartest person to ever have walked this earth. But in this moment, Jesus is reminding us of our purpose. Our purpose isn't to live this life ticking a box saying, I'm a good person, I've done this, I've done that, I've said my P's and Q's, I've said my prayers this morning. Our purpose is to, is to live in a relationship with God and with Jesus and to enjoy this and to cultivate a lasting and loving relationship with him. Jesus isn't the person who is hurried because he's desperate to be with you and with me. You know, when a relationship is deep, when it's really intimate, I'm not talking like a sexual intimacy, I'm talking about a deep intimacy with friends and family. It's one of those relationships where you can sit and be comfortable and be quiet. You know, when you're on a plane journey and just sit and you just know you're content, you sit on your sofa and you're content in those moments of peace. This is what Jesus is communicating to us in this moment. Jesus is revealing in this moment his patient love for us, that we're always in a rush, we always need to keep on going to the next thing, But here's the thing, when we're rushed, it often leads us to feeling anxious and fearful and stressed. The rushed person, the busy, the anxious, the flustered person, that's who we become when we do these things. You know, Sundays are great. We come in here, we sing our songs, pray our prayers. We have some good teaching sometimes. And it is, most of the time, should I say, all of the time. Uh, We have some great teaching and it's great. But then we go out and we're back into the grind of life. And we're trying to make ends meet. And we're anxious and we're fearing and we're striving and we're struggling and we're trying to make sure people are in the right places and we're under pressure again. And where are we in all that? We're rushing. 
We're flustering. We're getting anxious and stressed. And where's Jesus? He's still. And he's waiting. And often our way is to get more stressed and panicked, but not Jesus. He's calm. We're so quick to, to, to get the dust and the dirt off of us that we're so quick to make sure that no one has seen this in us that we actually miss the whole point that Jesus is there in the dirt and the dust with us. We're so quick to get rid of it that we don't realize that Jesus is there. You know that phrase, silence is deafening? Well, in this moment, silence was really deafening. You see, they were on at him and they were shouting at him, but Jesus was silent. And his silence was saying this to the lady, and it's saying it to you today. I love you. I love you. And I love you even if you don't choose to change because I created you. And I love you. I don't love you because you're perfectly clean. I love you because I made you. And the reason I made you is for me to enjoy you, not for you necessarily to enjoy me, but that's a great byproduct. But I love you. See, God enjoys you, and he loves you, and he loves you even in the dust and the dirt. How does the genius of grace work? How does it work when we're under pressure? It is dirty. It is dusty, messy by definition. And what you're left with is forgiveness and friendship with Jesus. Grace meets you where you're at. Grace is not hurried by anything. And grace will not condemn you. Grace is perfect. And then we carry on in this story and it continues and there's been this mad silence and it could have been like for two seconds, it could have been for 20 seconds, but it probably felt like about two days worth of silence because when Jesus doesn't respond to us, my gosh, it's deafening, isn't it? It's difficult. But remember, when Jesus, you don't hear Jesus in those moments, he's reminding you that he loves you. So the group continue to press Jesus. In fact, it says that they badger him and then Jesus responds to them and he does this. It says, he straightened up and said the sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. And then he bends down again and he writes some more in the dirt. I love that. He, he literally just gives them a one line. You who are sinless go first. In other words, he's saying, let us examine our hearts before we start judging other people, before we start casting our condemning nature upon other, other people. What about ourselves? What are we doing? How are we living our lives and then as a result of that, the text says, and it's brilliant this, I love this. It goes on and it says that, I think the next slide is going to come up, and if it doesn't, I can read it to you. Just, oh, there we are. Hearing that, they walk, hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. That is how grace works. You see, grace works with our oldest mistakes being forgiven all the way through to our most current and our future mistakes. God just doesn't forgive the oldest mistakes first and leaves them at that and expects you to keep praying for the new mistakes. It's the oldest to the most current mistakes. They leave and you are left alone. And when you're, what you started with those vicious condemning voices in your heart, you're not good enough. You don't meet the mark. You've sinned. You, you, you've fallen short. You've made mistakes. Those words saying that to you, what you're left with is Jesus saying, who is there? Who is condemning you? And you say, no one. And he responds to this to you. Neither do I condemn you. You know, the only person who can condemn you in your life, according to the law, was the sinless one, the perfect one, the one without blemish. And that person is real. His name is Jesus. And he chooses to say this to you. Neither do I condemn you. 
You need to hear this this morning. If you're in one of our locations, if you're here in Hales Owen and it's the first time you've heard this, then Jesus is saying to you, he loves you and he does not condemn you. If you're in Rowley, if you're in Hagley, if you're in any of our other locations, and Jesus is saying this to you this morning, I love you because I created you, I enjoy you, I do not condemn you, and I extend the gift of grace to you. You see, grace, therefore, is only needed when it's undeserved. It really doesn't work in any other way. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you don't deserve it. And when you receive it, it amazes you. And that is why it's genius. It's genius. You know, grace is being given something even though you know you don't deserve it. It means you're a little bit surprised even when it comes your way. Yesterday I got the privilege of speaking at a men's event. It was for a friend of mine and, and for a church that I know really well. And I hadn't agreed that I'd get a gift or anything like that. I wasn't expecting one. I was just pleased to be able to go and share with some friends. And uh, last night I got a text from the pastor of the church. He said, just to let you know, we're going to be sending you a gift. And it was like, it, it was like grace undeserved in that moment. Because I didn't really feel like I did a great job. But he, he was saying, you did a great job. And we just want to honour you and thank you for that. In those moments, it t- changes how we see things and how we feel. You know, people who live by grace live more elegant lives. People who live with the genius of grace are more caring and more rounded and more content in life. That's the sort of person that I want to be. It's the sort of person that I want my boys to be when they grow up. I want them to be people who express kindness and compassion and an extending hand, showing forgiveness and concern to the people around them. You know, this kind of way of living is really outrageous. It's really irrational thinking. And actually, when we think about geniuses, they don't think like you or me. They think outrageously, irrationally. Steve Jobs, when he came up with the iPhone or the Apple Mac, people would have been like, you are a nutter, mate. Like, what is that? That is just irrational. That's outrageous. How, how dare you even think that there's going to be these things? When Tesla said that we we're going to have electric cars, that we we're going to have self-driving cars, outrageous. How do you think you are? But here we are in this place where we're all embracing this stuff. We need to live outrageous, irrational thinking ways of living. We need to live the genius way of living, the genius of Jesus. What the genius of grace says is when you have the opportunity to judge or to hold grudges, actually, I want to show you a new way. I want to show you the opposite way, a way that shows grace and elegance. A bit like what Andy was saying last week, a third way. We are called to live in this manner because when we are filled with bitterness and anger, hurt and unforgiveness, then we are living the opposite, an inelegant life. If, you, if you're full of judgmentalism and quick to condemn others, then you are living an inelegant life and there is no grace for you. There is no grace for you to receive because you're so con- concerned with judging others that you're not prepared to receive the grace that is on offer to you. See, when you live without giving grace, it's a really difficult, it's a cold life. But when you live giving grace, oh my gosh, guys, I want to encourage you this morning. This is good news. God has given you grace and he wants you to give grace as well. You see, when you start giving grace, you can also receive grace as well. And you start to live this elegant and beautiful and graceful life. You see, you may have two left feet may not be able to dance like I can dance as a ballerina. I can't really do that anymore. But you may be able to dan- not be able to dance. You may not be able to po- paint like Moe. You may not be able to uh, compose like Mozart. You may not like, be able to score a goal like Messi. But you can still live a graceful life. Because let me tell you, God has painted the most beautiful picture in you this morning. 
In every one of us, he has given us grace. In every one of us, he's composed the most beautiful of of tunes, of, of glory. And him and his grace flows through us. And our responsibility is to outlive this gracious life. What is so genius about the genius of Jesus is it is transferable to us when we spend time with him. Guys, when I don't spend time with Jesus, I'm not so genius. I start acting like a bit of a plonker, a bit silly. I start drifting and coasting. But when I'm spending time with Jesus, I start feeling a bit more like a genius. I've got five takeaways for today, and then I want to pray. The first one is this. If you are in one of our locations this morning, and you've never heard this this morning, then this is for you. God loves you as you are, not as you think you should be. If you've been around church all your life and you've forgotten that, let me just remind you, God loves you as you are, not as you think you should be. The second one is this, that we show this, when we show this kind of grace, we're more likely to recognise when we receive this kind of grace in our lives. Guys, it is our role to show this kind of grace in every sphere that we're in. In the places that Jesus has placed you, in the communities that he's placed you, it's our role to show this kind of grace. Thirdly, stop being in a hurry because God's not in a hurry with you. He loves you and he loves spending time with you. Allow that to happen. Fourth, let us not forget to examine our own hearts before we start casting judgment on others. It's so easy and we're so quick to start judging others that we forget what actually is going on in our own lives and our own hearts. And finally, God's forgiven you so you can forgive yourself and then start forgiving others and showing God's grace. Guys, forgive yourself because God's forgiven you. He loves you. Take some time to spend with him. Slow down. We're going to sing a song in a moment and it's this amazing song. It's a hymn called Amazing Grace. It's all about how he has released us from these things that hold us back through his grace. Guys, all the stuff that holds us back Let us let God release that. Let us embrace his grace in order for us to run his race and then to show other people his grace to those around us. You are a beautiful picture. You're a beautiful composition of his notes of melody. Can I encourage you to stand right now wherever you are in one of our locations? We're going to pray. Thank you so much for listening to me. I know I've gone on a bit. Father God, I just pray right now that Jesus, you would remind us in this moment of your grace. That Jesus, you would remind us in this moment of the beauty that you have painted in and through us in the story of Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be like you. That we would be quick to show grace. Slow to respond in moments where we don't need to. Big with our actions. Open-handed big hearts for people. Jesus, extend grace to those who need it this morning. Jesus, I pray for people in this room, Lord God, in our locations online who need to hear this this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that you love them, that you call them, and that you're meeting us where we are in the dirt and the dust. Jesus, I pray as we sing this song, that God, we would be declaring your grace over our lives empowering ourselves to go out through those doors and to live a graceful and elegant life, showing the wider community who you are, Jesus. An elegant, graceful, loving God. We thank you for that this morning, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Let us declare his goodness. Let us sing this song and let us just rise our voices up knowing that Jesus has released us and he has shown us amazing grace.